and gentlemen, I have another joyous occasion uh, to uh, announce this evening, which will begin in one minute. Uh, it's based upon my latest book, published a few months ago, called a few weeks ago, actually, 1050 to, say, 1150. Uh, uh, but uh, he was translated uh, by a marvelous Victorian genius translator named Edward Fitzgerald. And one of the most exciting experiences of my younger life was to encounter in our high school poetry anthology uh, a marvelous uh, set of poems called the Rubaiyat, which means quatrains or four-liners of Omar Khayyam. Uh, I memorized lots of them. Uh, Omar is basically a, a man of gentle melancholy and likable skepticism uh, who counteracts that with a determination to get at least, uh, while he can, the most of the moment. Uh, he talks about his disillusionment uh, when he was young, asking all the, the teachers and doctors, uh, uh, doctors is used in the old sense of, in which the uh, the Catholic Church speaks of doctors of the church, meaning scholars, philosophers, theologians. He went and asked them all about what they could tell him about what life was about, its meaning, what it was for. Uh, here's what here's how he sums up his experience. Myself, when young, did eagerly frequent doctor and sage, and heard great argument about it and about, but evermore went out by the same door as in I went. With them the seed of wisdom did I sow, and with mine own hand <coughs> laboured it to grow. <clears throat> ah, but this is all the harvest that I reaped. I came like water, and like wind I go. Good, huh? Now, let's start out with um, Omar's uh, most famous poem, most famous four-liner. Uh, here we go. You've probably heard this, whether attributing it to Omar at the time or not. A book of verses underneath the bough, a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou beside me singing in the wilderness. Oh, a wilderness were paradise enow. If I could have two things, a loaf of bread and a jug of wine, and then let's add one, two more things, a book of verses, poetry, musical poetry that you can sing, word songs, and uh, uh, and you. <laughs> you, in addition to the, the um, loaf of bread, the jug of wine, and the book of verses, you have to be there. And then, what is it? Then wilderness were, meaning would be, paradise enough. A good thought, a nice thought. Uh, it sort of echoes what he says elsewhere. This is another one that I learned when quite young. Some for the glories of this world, and some sigh for the prophet's paradise to come. Ah, take the cash and let the credit go, nor heed the rumble of a distant drum. Okay, now... Uh, I owe Omar two things. The book is called Ode to Omar. What do I owe him? I owe him his uh, general temperament of skeptical um, happiness to live in the moment. And I also owe him um, the form of his uh, four-liners, which has a rhyme scheme of A-A-B-A. -A -A. 
Lines 1, 2, and 4 rhyme, and line 3 doesn't. Just observe that. A book of verses underneath the bough, a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou, beside me singing in the wilderness. Oh, wilderness were paradise enow. Okay, so we could uh, diagram that as A-A-X-A. Three A rhymes, and I call the, 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 the unrhymed line X because it doesn't rhyme with anything. As it, it, The rhymed ones, I think, I call A, B, C, D, and so on. Okay, so what can you do to make it more interesting? One of the things you can do is rhyme that X with something that goes on later. So we can do this, and this is what I do. A, A, B, A, B, B, C, D, B, C, B, C, C, D, C, D, D, A, D. See what happens? You use the, the, uh, the, the starter rhyme, of which there were only three, for the fourth rhyme uh, of your fourth stanza, because instead of three rhymes in one X, you now have four rhymes in every stanza. But what used to be X is going to be the, the, the paradigm. It's going to be the, 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 the rhyme that we continue in the following stanza. So what we have is a, is, um, a, a tighter structuring. You have lots more rhymes. I like that because they're sweeter. Also, I later on will uh, uh, try for even greater sweetness uh, by um, shortening the lines to four beats, and that way the, the rhymes will come faster and you'll get more of them. It's really fun to do this kind of thing. Let me show you now what I have how I have treated this famous quatrain that I used for the sample uh, and made it into something that you could, you'll have to decide yourself whether it's an improvement. I hoped it would be. When I see an intricate structure of verse, my impulse is always not relax it, make it looser and sloppier. My re reaction is, how can we make it even more intricate, more complicated, more difficult, more rare and lovely? Okay, here we go. A book of verses underneath the bough, a joy, a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou beside me singing in the wilderness. Oh, wilderness were paradise enow. I raise my hands with gratitude to bless, while chanting spirit hymn, the loved largesse, the fourfold present showed, although today by COVID I was granted something less. Of bread and wine the savour failed when they no longer might be shared, save in the way of Zoom or comparable modes remote, which by their nature loneliness convey. Yet let me take a pause and so devote attention to a countervailing note, a compensating token of good cheer, forgotten when I first, ah, lonely, wrote the wine and bread in mind remain my dear your singing of the verses i can hear with gratitude renewed i blissful bow imagination blessed the ever near okay i took omar's form but i changed it a bit and i never stopped changing it this is a how, how many poems did I do in here? I think uh, 
100, exactly 100, but I, uh, I, I do them with blogatelles also, which are explanatory notes, which sometimes contain supplement poems. But in addition to that, uh, I, uh, I continually make changes in the rhythm while keeping the Omar uh, modified rhyme scheme, as I've just explained. Here's an example of just one short one. Here I use an ancient Roman meter, very unusual. One and two and a three, four and a five, six and a seven and eight. The ancient Greeks and Romans wrote very adventurous meters, much more exciting than anything that's being tried now. Let me show you. First of all, we'll be listening for the, for the Omar rhyme pattern. All the height in the sky, earthward drew nigh, urged by a spoken source. Light, it said, let there be, over the sea, Phoebus with chariot horse. He, a bridegroom refreshed, helio-fleshed, helmet with beaming rays. Loud the steeds would command, gleamingly grand, charting a heaven course. So we have source, horse, rays, and course, A, A. X, A, but of course, as I developed this poem, I did write it into a regular 16-line uh, um, poem, uh, the model, my model in this book, and then I, I use my modification. Uh, even the most everyday of modern rhymes will prove startling and heartening when we hear it combined with the Omar Fitzgerald harmonies. Here's something that I use to show how the Binghamton University campus I've been teach I taught at, at that college for uh, um, uh, 35 years. Uh, how it has, oh, during all the time that I was there, and still this is happening, um, <clears throat> it um, exhibits very unusual landscape behavior. Carefully uh, planned out masonry and walks and uh, gravel, gravel or, or, or fitted stones, all of that is upset by the strange uh, conheaving and subsiding of the ground which uh, in rapidly changing temperatures. And every night the, in my house, the uh, mm, temperature goes down 20 degrees at least and sometimes 30. This continual alternation uh, upsets uh, um, fit are, are, and uh, uh, carefully fitted architectural patterning. So uh, the result is a kind of mild chaos, and it took a while for people to notice this and put in more stable and more resistant forms. But I still enjoy the tension. So here I used the same uh, Omar rhyme scheme, but I'm using it in this time in an ancient Greek meter called the Sapphic. One and two and a three and four and five and one and two and a three and four and five and one and two and a three and four and five and one and a two and Susquehanna Valley a stir is needing higher heaven clashes the yearning feeding mean the up and down of the heating cooling conflict is breeding Shifting pressure levels are overruling, brick in pavement laid, geometric schooling, quickly overturned with the earth-willed breathing, landscape retooling. Okay, that gives you the idea of some of the, uh, well, really quite extraordinary variety of experimentation and hybridizing of Omar with, with everything else I can think of that goes on here. Let's just now turn to the first um, poem in the book. I introduced the book that way. It might as well be done that way here. And uh, this is simply the Omar, not quite Omar. Uh, here I, I did what I told you I would. Um, I shortened the five-beat scheme to a four-beat so the rhymes will happen sooner. But if, if you want to know what the main purpose of this poem is, it's to show that if you open the door in the morning and you have Omar in your head, this is what you'll get.
The game of tag reawakened, spring for squirrel twins. We flourishing, behold, and there, athwart the street, three robins run that soon will sing. Ah, here's the fourth one, glad to greet the trio. Came a squirrel, fleet in running pace, and scampered swift. But calm, the birds would not retreat. The wind-made sculptured race can lift the weary winter spirit. Drift of white and wet emboldens you, dear friends who fear no sudden rift in tranquil weather hover. Few the flakes that punctuate the blue. To flight and flutter brisk they bring a vernal fervor. Hallelujah! See, it's a very entertaining book. Basically, I like having fun. But wait a minute. Things get a little gloomier uh, in part two, uh, so, um, uh, poem two. I wanted to show here how not only uh, opening the door will give you a poem, but sometimes reading a book will help. And uh, I've been reading some books lately that I uh, might have read when younger but didn't. Uh, and what they amount to now is... Uh, um, a new education. Among the Shakespeare plays I had somehow missed was Timon of Athens. Extremely interesting. Uh, this man is totally generous and extremely <clears throat> likable. And uh, in proportion as he later feels disillusioned because he overdid both, he was too likable and too generous. And uh, he uh, his, dis his expectations of reciprocity, shall we say, were badly disabused. What happens instead now, instead of likable and generous, he has become stingy and ferocious. So I wrote that up, and I sent it to Facebook, and you'll be interested to, to hear what the Facebook person said in return, because I incorporated the Facebook response into the poem. A Shakespeare episode. <clears throat> A giving soul, proud Timon on his noble friends, much gold bestowed, but bankrupt now, his breast he rends, and lately he's become... A cautionary tale. He feels quite friendless, and his anger never ends. He much had loved before, but now from boon to bale he moves. Will hatred vent? No heat healing might avail. His mental life is pendular. A swing too wide had meant a counter-swing. He'd soon in duel bewail. He's digging roots in hope the tubers may provide the nourishment of understanding. These will hide a while, but in the end the root of knowledge may assure when found a calm of mind might yet abide. I videoed my time and lyric yesterday, and lo, a commentator messaged me to say, You understood my problem. Health, your lesson lends too deep, or did I... Give a bit too much away? She thought I was writing about her. She had been unloading a lot of her problems, and she felt uh, that, my golly, here's this man. Is uh, He claims to be talking Shakespeare, but he just answered my, uh, gave me a way to start answering my question. Well, I read that because I wanted to show you what interesting adventures you can have writing Omar poems and sending them to Facebook. Now, here's the third one. Again, uh, it has a lot to do with opening the door and sampling the weather, but it has an unexpected conclusion. Who sing become what they proclaim. To be divines the primal aim. 
The breast will bear what angel brought, The seraph with the daybreak name, Who him transforming what was taught Will sing what saving moment caught, The minute of a timbrel beat In flame had gift auroral wrought. They grateful chant who breathing greet As hero deed a hearing sweet. They e'er give back that sky bestows Enlivened by the solar heat. Who nightingale can hail the rose, Twin gates will open. Riant glows the carmen fire of heart, The same that into being sighed what grows. That last is a little hard to follow. What I say is that uh, when I listen to the robins, I, the, the sweet that I hear, I think of as a deed of a hero, because they struggle, uh, they make tremendous journeys in order to sing for us in the morning, and, and then they give back the air that the sky bestows in the form of a, the other meaning of air, which means a song. But then the last paragraph has a lot packed in. Who nightingale can hail the rose, and this is an allusion to uh, something that happens all over Persian Sufi poetry of the Middle Ages and of today. Uh, they love to talk about the nightingale serenading the rose. To them, the nightingale is the spiritual quester, and the rose is the form of God that he uh, is entitled to view. Who nightingale can hail the rose, twin gates will open. Riant, that means laughing, glows the carmen, that means red. Fire of heart, the same that into being sighed what grows. The, your heart, the love that you feel in your heart, is according to Sufi teaching, the same love that created the world. Because why does this world exist? You may remember the Bible says God breathed air. He, he breathed his divine breath into Adam. Well, Ibn Arabi and other Sufi teachers explain further that when God breathed, he didn't just breathe life into Adam. He breathed the entire cosmos the entire pluriverse or multiplicity of worlds into being uh, and it because he did it with a sigh it was an imaginative sigh and he brought into being what he was imagining and why was he imagining it because the sigh was the melancholy sigh of a dreadfully lonely lover so the way to pay God back is to love to love him in the forms of all that he has created. And that's why in Sufi love poems, very often, you cannot tell uh, whether the addressee is God or a person. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference in the end to a Sufi uh, thinker, because what's the difference? God is in the person. The person represents God, and in being a loving person or being a stimulator of love is co-essential, having the same essence as the force that gave it life and love. Hmm, I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths. If you turn the page, I have an experiment of trying to reproduce, always using the uh, modified Omar rhyme pattern, with changing hy hybridized rhythm that Omar did not think of, some interesting experience I've had. And in this poem, I try to imitate what you might call the rhythm of hesitation when you're wondering whether to wake up in the morning, whether to get up or whether you need more rest, and whether the mind is telling you to get busy writing poetry or whether it needs more time for the thoughts to incubate.
That's a practical question. And my practical question is, how can I make poems that will imitate the, the rhythm of hesitant but expectant thought? And here's, you'll see how it's done. Do I need to surrender to sleep? Will the dreaming be a sinking or rise to a vision beseeming the entreaty of him who in patience awaiting is at times given hint of a visitant's gleaming? O oh, desire never sated, O oh, faith unabating, I had best lie awake, lest the glimmer of elating the awaiting beholder might fade, lest the calling be faint, lest my freedom should fail in creating. If by making my questioning plain I'm forestalling an exhaustion made false by a premature falling from the favor they granted who, spirit reviving, were so eager in aiding the quester enthralling, I'll be thankful who begged in a lifetime of striving by descent or by climb to tr find insight arriving, avid mind to feel keenly with heart desire teeming, then be prostrate down fallen, hear prophet winds writhing. That last line imitates an experience I've had quite often. I see the uh, in, uh, in Muslim prayer the uh, uh, the people bow prostrate down to the ground. Uh, really, they're flat on the ground, and uh, I think that's how I uh, feel the grasses are uh, the high grasses on a mountain slope uh, when the wind is really blowing. You just simply let yourself be overpowered by the force of prophecy. Well, I'm having a good time, and if you are, we'll sample a few other things you can do with this Omar. You know, when it comes to Ode to Omar, I owe a whole lot to him. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. This man lived from 1050 to about 1150. Uh, he was known much better as a mathematician. I mentioned that before. It took a while. For, for, it takes a while, let us say, for some of us to be discovered. Uh, let's try... Poem number 40, we'll skip a whole lot of pages for this next exhibit, because it shows you, I mentioned Facebook before, uh, I also have an intimate relationship, uh, my poetry has, with, with emails. I started out as a poet writing emails, and uh, sometimes I have written them in Omar's stanza, and here we go. I call this Letter to Lucy. Lucy was a cello-playing psychologist friend of mine. Alas, she is no longer with us. Lucy, thanks. How pleasant to hear that cheerful word from you. Weather, politics are grim. Candles hint a brighter view. We preserve our spirit, Vim. Blessed the fate of her or him who can chase the dark away, singing with the seraphim. Spring will come a longer day. Now at least I've had my say. Omar's trophies modified. Me with lyric flask will stay. Uh, the flask is a wine flask. The Sufis are big on wine. I introduced it into my poems as a metaphor for ardor, both physical and spiritual, just as they do, even though I'm not much given to drinking wine. Uh, coffee will do it for me. So are bleaker times belied. I but mildly have defied foolish, foolishness with words so few. May you thrive at Christmas tide. I wrote, by the way, a couple of uh, four-liners, uh, because 
the idea of email poetry reminded me of something they did a couple of centuries ago, and that was almanac verse. Have you ever heard of verse almanacs? People used to have um, notebooks for guests. They would be open and inviting. And you could write in a notebook. Indeed, you were just pretty much expected to. When you were a guest at a party, you would write a, a verse of your own composition or a verse you heard somewhere and liked and memorized. Uh, here are a couple of almanac verses. What, uh, they're very different. They're about time. The first guy thinks life is pretty much useless because it only lasts a minute or less, and, or a few, uh, fewer, mm, five minutes actually is a, precisely how much time he gives us. That's what an entire lifetime feels to him like five minutes. And then he is answered by a poet who, who counts the number of uh, minutes in, in a day. And he says, well, that's more than a thousand. That's more than a thousand minutes in a day. Uh, are we rich or are we rich? So I'll read you the two poems. I can't help it. This first author is a, a comic writer, but it's dark comedy. Jean-Paul Richter. Five minute halves our life supply. Oh, he's only given, going to give us two and a half minutes. Five minute halves our life supply. One minute smiling, one to sigh, one half to love, but watch it, guy. That half's the end, and then you die. Goethe's reply, if that's what it was, he must have seen that in the almanac and wanted to write a reply as fast as possible, because he was hyperactive. Sixty minutes in an hour, thousand plus the day contains. Sonny, think how great your power. In such time, how much one gains. Oh, now here's an... Here's a very exciting one. Even if I stop after a while, everybody gets tired sometimes, though I'm very far from it right now. Uh, I wanted to make sure to include this. It's one of the fastest I ever wrote and one of the most jam-packed. So for the first and only time, I'd like to read you the blogatelle that I wrote. Blogatelle is a word I invented. It means uh, blog hybridized with Bagatelle, a uh, French word meaning a light piece of music, because often I, I, th I, I in, in, think of them in the spirit of melody uh, overflowing from the first uh, offering, which was a poem. This one is called Jotted Rubaiyat. Sometimes they call me, they come to me in a shower. I think I was taking a shower and, and hurried up to dry myself so I could write this down. You are no lesser than the best. But hasted by a high behest, with kindred sun the light to reach that kindled the almightiest. You are a god, and so am I, and like Adonis we will die. Osiris we, the fertile flood of Nile enlivened, Isis cry. They in themselves have found a light, who envies blast and canker blight, with knowledge conquer of the blood that lit the sky the other night. I think I was, I made the right choice, don't you, to read the Blogatel commentary for this one, because uh, there's a lot there. 
Reading commentaries on The Queen of the Air, 1869, when writing my dissertation called Ruskin's Uses of Dante, I wrote that in 19, finished it in 1971, I was excited to learn of the interest taken by the Victorian critic of art and society in the influential solarism of German myth analyst Friedrich Max Müller. Professor Miller looked at world mythology as oriented by events in the heavens, particularly those centered on the rise and setting of the sun. Ruskin made Greek goddess Athena the patron goddess of his own solar religion in an experimental volume combining scholarship with rhapsody. Here I too rhapsodize a bit in an imaginative mood recalling those of Miller and his eager pupil John Ruskin. Looking at the morning redness in the sky, and at its equally sanguine-colored hue at eve, I find it easy to understand the dying god religions of Attis coming from Phrygia, Adonis from Syria, Mithra from Persia, immensely popular among the Roman military, and a Christ combining all these heritages. The blood we see in the heavens on awaking is readily associable with that of birth. You do associate blood with birth. The reappearing blood at sunset is the god's tragic death. We do associate blood with death. Though since the evening and the morning star are both Venus, of course revival must always follow decease in the daily as in the yearly cycle. Muhammad in the Quran says that every day, every morning is a resurrection. I really enjoy this kind of thinking. Adonis died in the fall, gored in the thigh by the tusk of a wild boar, a euphemism for emasculation. Ezekiel in the Bible castigated the women of Israel for lamenting the death of their beloved wheat god Tammuz, still the name of one of the months in the Hebrew calendar. There was a tremendous tide of popularity among ancient uh, Israelites for the pagan gods, as they were, as they came to be called, but uh, the spirit of it is very difficult to eliminate because uh, look in the sky and that's why. Even the Nile is masculinized in Egyptian myth. Od Osiris, the god, dies with the river Nile but comes back to life when the first tear, like the first drop of salt water in the river, is shed by his sister, another deity, Isis. They didn't mind brother-sister kinds of things in, uh, in Egyptian myth. And that's why I wrote, They in themselves have found a light who envies blessed and canker blight with knowledge conquer of the blood that lit the sky the other night. To read this, we need just a little syntactic agility rearranging the phrases. They who conquer envies blessed and canker blight with knowledge of the blood that lit the sky the other night have found a light in themselves. You and I are each Attis, Adonis, Tammuz, Osiris, Jesus. We die with sunset and are resurrected at dawn when the auroral goddess will raise a henna-tinted hand. You know, I'm wondering. No, I think I'll try a little more. Just a little more. I don't like to stop reading poetry. Uh, Oh, this is nice, because this brings back an experience I had with my daughter. I used to take her very often on Saturdays to the ethnic uh, festival, uh, uh, featured every week uh, at the Natural History Museum in New York City. Have you ever been there? They're wonderful. And one time they had a Korean woman 
who was playing a shamisen, a stringed instrument like a dulcimer that she held in her lap, and her name was Moon Guardian Steadfast of the Way. That's a perfect line of poetry. So I just wrote her name and then I wrote about her. Moon guardian steadfast of the way, your name a strength brings into play. Shigetsu doshu, soto zen, I'm pondering a thought to say. Did I mention she was a Korean woman? I drew a picture of her also, by the way. The moon is changeable, but when recurrent phases come, we can the numbered pattern, dark and bright combining. Tune on shamisen, we'll make in homage to the night when thought is keen, perception light augmented by the quiet frame that lends to lucubration, might itself a guardian, your name, saying, constant mid the changes claim. I love the moon so much, for me from long-drawn tide, the tidings came. To ebb and flow eternally, attention turn, and you will see that heart and breath and welling wave are one in swelling melody. The darkness of her dwelling gave the moon not gloom but strength to save by soft immersion, life to chant, not nil but nile. Be lunar brave. In dark we sense the depth not scant, but vital to the hierophant. No phantom can the mind affray in light a sway of ray aslant. I tried to make that a piece of music. Let's see now what we should... Well, sometimes I do a portrait. I'd like this one is a portrait of um, one of my favorite poets, the Persian poet Hafiz. I published a, a translation I made of a hundred and three of his poems, and I called it "Songs of Wine and Tavern Romance." He's a bit of a an alcoholic. He can't stay away from the taverns. And uh, not only does that bring him into a state of disapprobation with the hierarchy, but also the fact that he has tavern romances because it's chiefly men that go to these pubs where he likes uh, basically to make his attempts at courtship. He leads a life of, of attempted courtships which almost never succeed. Uh, but he, he takes comfort in poetry always. A little bit in wine too. He equates a pub with a mosque and a church as places of love. And here's a portrait I drew of him in my Omar stanza. That wine's a problem, I'm aware. When pub doors open, I am there to give a hint. Don't keep your inn shut to the drinker. Have a care. But did you think of this? Begin a stricter life and strength you'll win for reason through restrained desire amid the clanging tavern din. Oh, yes, I've cried. Be, be quiet, fire of craving. Liquors you require on Sufi robe have left their stains. I even prayed to one who's higher. Please let me weep them clean. My pains are vain. No aid my effort gains, and tavern shutters bands increase, and high decree dear wine arrange. 
reactions. You know, if you had a, a reactionary, from Hafi's point of view, uh, a repressive regime in power, it wasn't unusual for them to, to outlaw wine and call in uh, the, the pub police. He has poems about that. And yet a drink provides release if rose or daffodil. Men cease to throw a random glance at me. I'm robbed, scarred tulip of my peace. He thinks of himself as a tulip because the Turkish tulips have uh, what looks like the residue of ash at, uh, down at the bottom of the chalice. And so uh, it's a portrait of him as what you might call a burnt out case. But still admired your lines will be by people you will never see. I, wine and verse, are fountains too, my vivid Eden company. Deep Carmen ardor comes to view, face flushed with wine and passion hue. From lovers' aromatic hair, we high delight in life construe. I'm thinking I'll end with something quiet after that. I wrote poem 77, a double lucky number, but actually it's about, it's called A Prayer of Love. It's only four lines long. And I used the original Omar five-beat line. Nothing modified about it. Omar might have written it. I love to think so. A Prayer of Love. I pray that in the name of all you feel for me, you share your grief and happiness. Each tear let flee, let flow from out its home, and with it every sigh. The tears upon my face let fall, the sighs set free. Here's my blogatelle of comment. I wrote this to a friend who was suffering from deep depression. I felt that both the cause and remedy lay beyond my power of conjecture. The poem is like the act of quietly crying with the one who grieves. Is that the right way to end? Well, you know, I don't know why not. Not everything has to have a happy ending. Uh, I would say 99% of my poems do, but it's not a universal rule. I hope you liked that. I, uh, it's one of my best remembered poems to myself when I'm uh, going back over past experiences that I've yet managed to compose. And so uh, let me thank you for being with me tonight. Mm -hmm.